Alrighty. I'm going to read the text and then we'll pray and then we'll get into it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Almighty God, I pray and ask that as we come before your word, that you would humble our hearts to receive it. Lord, I ask that you would minister to us in this time. You would encourage the faint-hearted. You would help the weak. Now, Lord, may we be humble enough to receive your grace. And I ask, Lord, that in your mercy, that you would help us to continue to grow, to be a church on fire. Lord, we love you. Please bless us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the the topic is church on fire, living passionately for Jesus. And um, as I thought about this, I actually spoke about this at youth, um, at our youth group alive uh, about two or three months ago. And Dave said, why don't you do that message here at church? And, And I go, okay, let's do it at church. And I looked at what I had for youth and went, does this even work for adults? I realize that, you know, like it's easy to tell youth to go, come on, fire up. But when you start thinking about adults and you know, ages from, you know, 18 to 60, and can you actually say the same thing? And so it got me thinking a lot about passion, and passion, I realized, you know, the more I thought about it, it's kind of a, it's a weird thing, it's a funny thing, it's a great thing. Uh, passion's exciting. Uh, passion is controlling. Passion kind of gets us up in the morning sometimes. And we're sort of, as, as a society and as a modern age, we're kind of drawn to passionate people. We're actually drawn to people who really believe in what they're doing. You think of someone like Steve Irwin. You know, Steve Irwin, passionate about his reptiles and the animals and crocodiles, so much like a weird passion. Like, he'd look at a snake and be like, aren't you beautiful or gorgeous? You know, and and you're like, oh, I don't know. But, you know, he saw it, and he was so passionate about saving wildlife that he would jump into a muddy creek at night with a dinghy and just his khaki pants on and boots and wrestle a crocodile. Like, like, I mean, he's a psycho guy, and he was so passionate about it. I mean, he was willing to give up his life. And so, you know, we were drawn, I was drawn to Steve Irwin just because he had such love for those animals. Or I think of someone like um, Ray Warren, who's an NRL commentator. And, you know, he fires up all the time just about little things. Be like, well, Andrew Johns, Andrew Johns got the ball, he got the ball, he got the ball, he's tackled. You know, and, like, oh. <laughs> and he, he fires up really quickly, uh, and, and it's about nothing. But if he never fired up, you It'd be quite boring. You'd be watching the game, uh, and Jamie Soward has the ball, and he gets tackled. Tackle number two. And you think, oh, that'd be boring. So Ray Warren, he gets into it, and we're kind of drawn to that a little bit. Uh, and the thing about passion as well is that kind of not only are we drawn to it, but we're actually we're all passionate in some way. Obviously, we express it in different ways, but most of us are passionate about something. Um, you could be passionate about food. I was watching that latest series of MasterChef. I've never watched it before. Man, they love food. They get into it. Everything is all food, food, food. 
you know, and as you're watching it, you're, oh my gosh, I want to eat that food, but you can't even eat it because it's on the screen, but they get to eat it, and you get to watch them eat it, and that guy with the cravat, he's like, mm, it hit the top of the palate and went down, it was just really good, and you're like, fantastic, I wish I could eat it, but they're passionate about it, and if they weren't, it'd be pretty boring too, yeah, nice food, okay, cool, so we need, we, we kind of drawn to it, you can be passionate about food, uh, you can get passionate about all types of other things. Um, my wife, uh, we had a baby. Uh, we're having another one actually in January, and we found out we're having a boy. So I'm passionate about that. I'm excited about that. Wanted a boy. Um, wanted a boy. And so I just, you know, when I told people I was having a girl, I was like, yeah, we're having a girl. Isn't that cute? Like, now I'm having a boy. But my wife, she's passionate about parenting. She looks at all the kind of techniques and thinks about how we can do it. And, and, you know, it feels like every week it's a new technique. But, you know, she gets passionate about it and she loves it. And she studies it. And you might be passionate about other things such as holidaying, leisure, rest. You always think about the next place you're going to go. I know, I know lots of people that are like, you know, what are you doing with your life? Well, I'm going to Europe. And then what are you doing with your life? Well, I'm going to America. And then what are you doing with your life? I'm going to go to Asia. Their whole life is consumed by touring and going out and trying something new. For me, I'm passionate about music. I love finding new bands. I love getting into new bits of music. And I love buying new vinyl and, you know, a bit old school. I've got my dad's vinyl player. I love that. It's awesome. And the other thing about passion is that not only are we drawn to people who are passionate, we all have a passion in some way. Uh, but we all show it in different ways. I think of like when you go, if you've ever been to a live sporting match, you know, most of the people who are there are pretty passionate because they want to see their team play. But not everyone shows it in the same way. If you go to a live sporting match, there's some people who are just singing and dancing and yelling and screaming and every time something happens, they go, oh, 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 every time. But there's other people who love the team just as much and they're going, mm, good, good shot. You know, and so we all express it in different ways, and that's okay. Um, but the passion or the drive or the zeal kind of comes from our heart. And we all have it. We're drawn to people who have it. We all show it in different ways. And the reality is that if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, God has actually called us to live passionately. God has actually called us to live a life consumed by him. We read it in that verse. Read Romans 12, 1 again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God calls us to present everything in our life to him as worship. He calls us to have all of our life as worship. He calls us for all of our life all on fire for him. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they used to sacrifice animals. And, and you know, they would slaughter an animal and they would burn that animal. And that, that animal was done. After that, you couldn't use that animal as a sacrifice again. But God calls us in Romans 12.1 to be living sacrifices, to be always burning for him, to be always being offered up for him. Every moment. It's so comprehensive. It's ridiculous. Every breath, every thought, every sleep. Every bit of food, every bit of water, every dream, every relationship. Your children, how you parent them, how you study, how you drive, how you drink coffee, what coffee you drink. Every part of our life to the minuteness 
the, the smallest detail is to be lived for him. Every part. And to me, that, that sounds hard, right? If you're listening, you probably should be like, how am I going to do that? And so the question is, how do we actually live passionately for Jesus? Well, I think that um, in Romans 12, we get, we get an answer. And here it is. It's on the screen for you already. How do we get on fire? How do we live passionately for Jesus? You can write this down. This is the main message, the main idea. A gospel passion begins with Jesus and is cultivated by us. A gospel passion begins with Jesus and is cultivated by us. So let's get into it. First point, first point, a gospel passion begins with Jesus. A gospel passion begins with Jesus. So if I get the next slide up there, um, we got this idea, how do we get on fire? How do we actually live this life all for him? Well, the answer, the next slide is, a gospel passion begins with Jesus. And if you're writing down notes, you could write down kind of sub point one by reviewing all that he's done for us. Let's read Romans 12, 1 again. And if you're on retreat, you would, have, you would have noticed that Bob Coughlin started in the opposite order to me. said this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let me read it again. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God to present your life as a living sacrifice. What the scripture is telling us is that actually to live a life all on fire, to live a life of worship, to actually live with every part of our being consumed for the Lord, to actually live with every breath, it has to be done in light of his mercies. A gospel passion begins with Jesus by reviewing all that he's done for us. And as we read the scriptures, if it says, therefore, we should ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore, right? And we come into, we're in chapter 12 of Romans, but in chapters 1 to 11, as if you're at the, into the word night, you would know the kind of storyline. But it's a scary storyline and it's a great storyline. Because in Romans chapters 1 to 3, we learn we're not as good as we thought we were. In Romans 1, the writer tells us that actually, you know, we... we we don't really live for God properly. In fact, we do the opposite. We take all the good things that God has made and we worship them instead of Him. We get consumed by, you know, relationships. We get consumed by work. We get consumed by sex and all this type of stuff. And we actually live for those things instead of Him. And then in chapter 2, he says to the people who think they're religious and who think they're very good, the Jewish people of the time, he says, you're also not as good as you thought. And then in chapter 3, just in case anyone thought they were missing out, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the mercy or of the glory of God. And so the background to kind of our life is this knowledge that actually we're not as good as we thought we were. And that would be okay if God, you know, didn't care. But we learn in the Bible that actually to not be as good as God wants us to be is actually offensive to him. 
it's actually um, wrong in his sight. And so he requires judgment. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing that kind of should spur us on to live and love him is verses like this. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, we've heard that verse many times. But if you want to fuel your passion for Jesus, if you want to live all your life as worship, you have to keep that in mind that at the right time, while you were still weak, while you were still a sinner, he actually died for you. And the result of that death is Romans 8.1. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means that the sin you committed this morning, the sins you committed last week, the sins of your youth, the sins of your adulthood, the sins of your retirement, none of them count. None of them stand against you. All those things that you feel ashamed of, all those things that you look back with regret and go, I wish I never did that. The amazing thing about the Bible is that all of those things, if you believe in Jesus, actually don't count against you. And, and Paul goes on in the book of Romans in 8.30 that the result of this is that we'll actually go to heaven. We'll actually be glorified that those whom he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So that if you believe in Jesus right now, you are actually already secure in heaven that you're actually already going to go there, that all those sins are already paid for. And then it says in Romans 10, it just keeps getting better and better. It says that in Romans 9 to 11, that we're actually not an accident, that our salvation was planned from the beginning of time, that you were actually chosen out by him. And then in verse 10, how do we actually get saved? Well, it says, um, chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then finally, in all this kind of therefore that precedes what the verse we had before, he says in chapter 10, verse 13, kind of asking the question, well, who can be saved? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if you put all that together, that actually we're not as good as we thought we were, that we deserve punishment, that God in his mercy sends his son, that every single little wrong thing and every single big thing that we've done is not counted against us, that we're secured in eternal redemption, that anyone who calls on his name is saved, that actually before you were born, it was all planned, it was all set out, and he actually chose us before we were even born. If you put all that together, then your heart is ready to give everything to him. Because he gave everything for you. Bob Coughlin, um, one of the leaders of Sovereign Grace in the U.S., said this on our retreat. I think it was amazing. A small savior will elicit a small worship. A great savior will elicit grand and comprehensive worship. How big is your worship? How much of your life Are you living for the Lord? Is it grand and comprehensive? Is it when you drive and when you eat? 
Is it when you surf and when you drink coffee? Is it when you parent and when you're in the bathroom? Is it when you're at church and when you're at work? Is the gospel driving you in every aspect of your life? And if it isn't, perhaps it's because Jesus is small. Jesus is actually just your savior. That one time cleans you, you're free. And you haven't realized that not only has he saved you, he's keeping you. Not only has he saved you, he's actually redeemed you to live this life all for him. If you're feeling and if you're living like your life kind of doesn't look like it's all on fire, it's not all of worship. And, you know, definitely I'm not saying I do. Um, I'm certainly, you know, in and out, in and out, all of life and worship. But when Jesus gets bigger, when Jesus gets bigger, my whole life starts to change. You know that song, freely you gave it all for us. And then it finishes off, this is our God. Our gospel passion begins with Jesus by keeping in mind everything he's done for you. But a gospel passion also begins with Jesus, point two, by getting close enough to the cross to catch a light. You see, you can know all that type of stuff, but if you don't camp out in those truths, if you don't actually pitch your tent right next to the cross and hope and wait and trust that God will actually give you that joy, you'll never feel that kindling in your heart. John Stott says it best, and I've got up on the screen, John Stott said this, and we've had this quote at church before. The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. We've got to get close enough to Jesus to catch a light. If Jesus, if it's true that Jesus is the great, you know, the fire, the one that will kindle our hearts, that if getting close to Jesus is what will elicit great worship, if keeping in mind all of God's mercies is what will help us to live all of our life, we actually have to get close enough to him to catch a light. And the reality, I think, is this, is that naturally when we start to feel like, oh, I'm not living the best life, oh, I don't really want to live for him, we do the very opposite thing to which we should do. We start to go further away from Jesus. Our natural inclination is, you know, I'm not feeling it, you know, and we start stepping out of things and, oh, I'm not feeling it. And you start stepping out. But we have to fight the natural inclination and actually do the opposite and get closer and closer and closer to the cross so that when we see him sweaty, <laughs> blood pouring out, saying, Father, forgive them that those sparks will fall and set your heart and your life and your mind on fire. I know it does for me. When I see how great and grand Jesus is, the heart swells and the life follows. And finally, in point one, a gospel passion begins with Jesus by making him the dominant passion of our life. See, as a Christian, I think the one big passion of our life, the one dominant, controlling, thriving passion of our life has to be Jesus. 
doesn't mean we can't have other passions. doesn't mean we can't love other things. doesn't mean I can't love music and coffee. and doesn't mean you can't enjoy playing sport. doesn't mean you can't love, you know, everything else that you do. But the one dominant passion, the one controlling passion, has got to be Jesus. Otherwise, our heart gets crowded out. And we get distracted. And we actually lose sight of the cross and our eyes become hazy because there's all these other things because to be honest if you're anything like me the heart is fickle have you ever come to church and been more excited about having a coffee than the worship you know like how fickle is my my own heart is like that my oh i can't really read my bible unless i have my hillsong playing the dominant passion of our life has to be jesus otherwise we'll get distracted and there's a couple things we can get distracted by i'll just mention two well, that's a couple, so there you go. Um, firstly, worldly things, just things of this world. And the amazing thing about this world is not that the world is bad. Sometimes maybe as Christian we can think the world's bad, got to stay away from it. But in reality, the problem with the world is it's too good. That God made the world so good that we get distracted by it. And we, we go, whoa, how cool is this thing? I'm going to spend all my time thinking about this. And who, God, what? You know, we forget <laughs> Um, you know, the world is like this amazing playground and we have so much fun. We're running from the flying fox, going down the slippery dip, we're having a great time. And we forget that the guy who made it wants to play with us on the playground too. Um, Titus 3 says that, you know, without Christ, without the grace of God, we're slaves of various passions. Slaves of them. I think that's true. Like I was chatting to one of my friends at work and she said that her father-in-law you know, has 22 unique classical guitars. And she said, I remember speaking to him and saying, you know, at 15, do you you really need more? He's like, yeah, I should stop. And then it was 16 and 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. He's enslaved to it. And maybe, maybe there's things for you which are crowding out your love of Jesus. So the cross gets obscured because, you know, it's, it's that car or it's that job or it's that girl or that boy or it's that mark or it's that parenting technique or it's, you know, that sickness, that concern. And in fact, you get, we get distracted by the things of this world rather than seeing them as good things and directing us to praise God all the more. So the cool thing about Christianity is we get to enjoy the world in its full extent because we get to know the giver of the gift as well as enjoying the gift itself. It's like on Christmas Day, it's so much more fun when, you know, the person who gives you the gift is there with you. Because you open it, you unwrap it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And thank you so much, mom or dad, or thank you so much, husband or wife. Thank you so much, child. Whatever it is, when the person's there, you get to enjoy the gift and the giver. So we can get distracted by worldly things if we don't have Jesus as the dominant passion of our hearts. And secondly, we can get distracted by religious things, Christian things. The other problem I think sometimes for me and potentially for us as a church is there's so many things to do. And Chris already said it earlier. We're so busy and there's so many things to run and there's coffee bar and there's this and there's getting all the programs going. There's youth and there's ladies coffee morning. There's, you know, in what is it called crossfit sg fitness there's all these things there's life group there's reading our bible and praying every day you know there's trying to encourage people there's trying to do all this stuff and parent and uh, we can get distracted by doing christianity and actually forgetting about the jesus who wants us to love him 
And the, the, the people in Hebrews were actually a bit like this. The, the book of Hebrews, um, the writer, we don't know who it is, but he writes to them and multiple times in that book, he says, consider Jesus, look to Jesus, draw near to Jesus, because they were getting distracted by like angels and they were getting distracted by the old prophets and they were getting distracted by good things, religious things. But he says this to them. He says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to us, um, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And speaking about Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he's reminding these Christians, yeah, there's all these other things, but Jesus is the radiance of the glory of god he is the main deal he is the christ of christianity get back to him stay close to him keep the cross in view keep his glory in view so that you don't get distracted by all these other things so in summary If you want to live your life on fire for god if you want to kind of have a comprehensive grand worship of god It begins with Jesus by keeping in mind all that he's done. By getting close enough to the cross that your heart may be set on fire. And by having him as the dominant and central passion of your life so that you don't get distracted by other things. But you may be thinking, okay, yep, great gospel passion begins with jesus but but how do i how do i stay on fire how do i actually grow in my love of god how do i actually not just you know kind of have this one dimensional faith but how do i actually cultivate a gospel passion how do i go from you know being an 18 year old christian to a 20 year old christian to a 25 to a 30 50 55 80 90 I don't know how old some of us are going to live to, maybe 100, who knows? How do I actually keep growing, keep staying on fire? How do I actually keep living all of my life as worship? How do I do that? Well, I believe that Romans chapter 12, verse 11 tells us this. Point number two. A gospel passion is cultivated by us. A gospel passion is cultivated by us. Have a look at Romans 12, verse 11. It says this. And we'll get up on the screen. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. As I, um, as I was thinking about this whole topic and I was getting like, I believe all these things were true and I was kind of a little bit doubting though because I was like, is it actually in the Bible <laughs> to be passionate for God? And Because I, I had all these ideas and, and I was chatting to some people. I'm like, I don't even know. Is it in the Bible? Is it like, or is it just a me thing? Is it just a Riley thing? Because I'm a passionate person. I could be passionate about anything. I don't know if I put, myself, put my mind to it. Is it just a natural thing for me to be passionate? Or is it actually something that we're meant to do, that God actually wants us to do? 
Luckily, I found this verse, and I'm not trying to prove text. I actually believe that God actually has this in, this in store for our church because the context of this verse is actually Paul goes on from saying, in view of God's mercy, live your life all on fire for him. And then he starts talking to the church as a whole, and he says, okay, you're a body, serve each other with gifts, and this is how you're meant to live it out. And one of the things he says to the church and how you're meant to live it out is this. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And I, you can kind of see, like I split it into three little sections on the screen. I, I think you can kind of look at this verse in three steps. The first step is kind of erase, you know, erase slothfulness. The word slothful in the Greek apparently means like just as we would intuitively think, lazy or timid or idle, neglecting things that we're meant to do. And the word zeal, um, it's not a word we use all the time. We don't like kind of walk up to someone and say, hey, Chris, looking zealous today. Um, you know, or that was zealous. Fantastic. It's kind of an old word, but the word actually means to um, diligent pursuit of something that one cares about. Zeal is the diligent pursuit or something one cares about. And the cool thing about that is it comprises kind of two aspects. Diligence, faithfulness, working hard, but also passion, something one cares about. And so God says to us in the Bible, don't be slothful in your zeal. And as I read that again, I was thinking, is this just for leaders? Like, is this, you know, because often the people who are most passionate sometimes end up on the front, maybe because they push their way there. But is it just for leaders to be passionate? Well, in verse 9, he, uh, verse 8, he says, to those who lead, lead with zeal. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it is just for leaders. But then you read on and it actually says, no, to the whole church, don't be slothful in zeal. So if you naturally, kind of, uh, uh, maybe you are feeling slothful, maybe you're not, being zealous, well, gently I'll put it to you that God actually is asking of you to not be slothful in your zeal, to not lose diligence, to actually care about Him and to live all your life for Him. But He goes on, so He says, erase slothfulness and then replace it with fervency. Again, a word we don't use all the time. Be fervent in spirit. Um, and fervent, I, I had to look it up. I've got this great program like, called Logos on my, because uh, I don't know Greek. I tried to learn it once. I was bored between HSC and uni, so I tried to learn it, but I got to like the alphabet. So I looked it up on my computer, and the word fervent actually means seething, boiling hot, fiery. And when I read that, I was like, you know, church on fire, and it's in the Bible, seething, boiling hot, fiery. God is actually calling us as a church, as a people, not just to be diligent, but actually to be fiery, to be boiling hot, to be seething. It doesn't leave a whole lot of room for, eh, when I get around to it, it's actually boiling hot. Bubbling, you know, you can imagine, I, I, when I think of this, I imagine like a big fire with a big, huge cauldron on it, I don't know why, and just like toil and toil, boil and trouble, and just like stuff pouring over it. That's, that's meant to be our life, is seething, boiling hot. And he says, but be fervent, not just 
you know, take lots of Red Bull. Well, you don't take it. Well, I don't think you can, but not drink lots of Red Bull, but actually be fervent in spirit. And you can translate it fervent in the spirit or in the Holy Spirit. And so there's this kind of tension here where we're meant to be fervent, but the source of our fervency actually comes from relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so there's a tension in Scripture. We're kind of meant to pursue fervency, but it also is given to us as a gift. Um, and I don't know how to resolve that tension other than just to say it's a tension. Be fervent in spirit, the Bible says it, but where that fervency comes from is actually from the Spirit itself. So seek Him out. And finally, the result. So you erase slothfulness, you replace it with fervency, and the result is serve the Lord, serve Jesus. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So the Lord is calling for diligent zealousness, which is boiling hot, which results in serving him with all our life. Um, uh, you know, an oldish preacher, R.C. Sproul, said it like this. I don't know if you can read that, it might be too small, but I'll read it out. Lots of people are zealous. But there's no diligence or responsibility in their zeal. They're just running all over the place like chickens with their heads cut off. You can imagine that. Just <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, there are some people who are methodical in routine. But there's no zeal, no warmth, no ardor, no spirit. Next slide. It is not enough to just be zealous nor is it enough to just be diligent. God wants to see discipline, but he also wants to see our passion, to see hearts that are on fire, that are excited about what he has done. Zealous, diligent, hardworking, pursuing something, fiery, hot, Serving him. But the question is, how do we actually do that? So we've had a gospel passion begins with Jesus. Well, a gospel passion is cultivated by us. I think Romans 12, 11 is telling us that we actually have a part to play. That we actually have responsibility to cultivate this fervor, to cultivate this passion. Well, how do we do that? A gospel passion is cultivated by us by actively pursuing the deep things rather than the shallow. By pursuing the deep things rather than the shallow. And here I just want to slow down a little bit. Because it could be easy to think, okay, I've got to get fervent. I've got to get, you know, let's turn the lights off. Let's get some disco music. Oh, disco. Let's get some dance music going. Let's have Red Bull. Get rid of the coffee bar. Red Bull shots. Let's get excited, people. Fervent in spirit. Boiling hot. Come on, let's do it. Come on, yeah. Lots of clapping and all heat and no light. It can be easy to think, okay, I'm going to change the external things. All right, I'm going to buy a new Bible and buy a new coffee machine. And I'm going to sit, you can tell, I keep talking about coffee. I'll obviously worship it or something. But I'm going to buy a new Bible, grab a coffee, grab a new Hillsong album, sit down and just bask in the presence of God. And that will change me. We always, it can be our tendency to think of external things. Oh, I'm going to change church. That'll help me. I'm going to change life group. I'm not going to come to church. That'll help me. 
You know, we want to change all these external things. But I think that God actually wants us to change the internal. Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If you want to change your life, you've got to change your mind. If you want to change your life, you've got to change your mind. It's kind of like, um, I think I used this analogy last time I actually preached, it was about eight months ago, but our heart and our love of God is kind of like a big fire, which is why I think the word fervent is a great word, boiling hot. Because our heart is kind of like a fire. And there's kind of two ways you can fuel a fire, obviously. You can fuel it with kindling. Or you can fuel it with logs. See, if you fuel it with kindling, it's fun. It blows up quickly and it's exciting. But it dies out. If you only put kindling on the fire, it'll get really hot, really bright, really quickly. And it'll go out really quickly. But if you start a fire and... You know, Jesus starts our fire. But if you start a fire and you put logs on it, and you keep putting logs on it, they're slow burning. And they give off so much more warmth. And they last so much longer. See, a great example of this is I was leading on a kid's camp, about 30 year, five and six kids, and we're down the coast. And um, we, we had a bonfire, this big bonfire, I don't know, probably probably about the size of this stage, a little bit wider. There was heaps of wood on there, but it had been raining, kind of off and on, sunny, rain, sunny rain. And so as we gathered all the kids, there was this big log that they're all meant to sit on over there. And, but it had been raining, so it was wet, so they didn't sit on this log. And the guys who were running the camp were trying to start the fire. So there's all these big logs, all these big, you know, kind of branches and everything to actually get this fire going. And unbeknownst to each other, there was one guy with a petrol can and another guy with one of those back-burning fire starters. So it like just shoot, it's like a flamethrower almost. And as they're circling the fire, they get to a point where they actually meet. And as you can imagine, things got mental. Uh, the, the, the flame from the flamethrower thing actually leapt up into the petrol can and exploded the whole jetty can, jerry can. And this massive fireball flew out and started burning this wet, huge log that 30 kids were meant to be sitting on, but none of them were, by the grace of God. But there was all this heat, all this, heat, all this light, all this kind of passion, but it died off very quickly. And obviously, lots of people were very scared. Eventually, we got the fire going, and the thing that kept us warm all night was the logs. It wasn't the massive fireball. And so God actually wants us, I believe, to cultivate a passion for him by pursuing the deep things rather than the shallow. So, kind of, what are those things? Well, I mean, you could... I have this complex way of justifying all these five things, but I think Scripture gives us five really simple ways, long-lasting ways of actually continually having a passion for him. Continually. Loving him. And so, if you're kind of wanting to live for him all your life and be passionate all your life, I think the Bible has five things for us. The first one is the Holy Spirit. The first one is Spirit. See, by the Holy Spirit, we experience the power and the presence of God. By the Holy Spirit, we experience the power and the presence of God. And the Spirit is less like a log and more like a gas line. 
The Spirit is like a, a gas line that goes straight into the fire and always keeps our heart burning. But there's times when we listen to God and we follow the Spirit that our heart gets this... And I want, have you ever experienced that when you, you're actually obeying the Spirit and it just, oh, you, the world looks different when you're walking in step with the Spirit. The second one is the Word of God. By reading the Word of God, i.e. the Bible, we expose ourselves to Him. And His mind changes our mind. By reading the Bible consistently, and all over it, we actually expose ourselves to him and his mind will change our mind bit by bit, day by day. Thirdly, prayer. The cool thing about prayer, I think, is that we find that our hearts are drawn closer to God through prayer. And again, prayer changes our mind It does, you know, God does answer prayer all the time. We've seen it so many times. But in some ways, one way God answers prayer is he actually changes us. You know, that old analogy of, you know, you kind of got the boat pulling up to the pier or the dock or the shore and you get the rope and you throw it out. And when you're trying to get yourself to the pier, do you pull the pier to you or are you pulled toward the pier or to the shore? It's the same with God. When we pray, we're going, Lord, do this for me. And, we, and it happens. <laughs> but it was because we were actually drawing closer to him. That's why we get the, the joy from prayer. Fourthly, chuck on the big log of fellowship, of church. I mean, all these things are so basic, right? Like, a whoa, I never knew. It's not meant to be like that, but I just think God uses the ordinary means of grace to do extraordinary things. Coming to church. And the amazing thing about church is when you come to church and you're a part of the church, it's not an event, it's the people. And when you interact with the people, God stirs your heart in two ways, by serving and being served. By serving and being served, by blessing and being blessed. And if you're humble enough to serve, you'll encourage others and you'll feel that encouragement. And if you're humble enough to be served, that'll encourage someone else and it'll encourage you. God has determined fellowship as one way to stir our heart for him. And finally, evangelism. By sharing the good news and helping people to meet Jesus, we get reminded of how great he is. You know that when you, when you start telling someone about Jesus, you're like, I forgot how good he is. You, all your sins are paid for. Your whole life you get back. You get redemption. And you, and you remind yourself by actually telling other people how good it really is, how lucky we are, how good we've got it as Christians. The reality is that some of us here are blazing hot, and it's awesome. But there are other people here who are probably, probably feeling a bit cold, maybe feeling a bit tired, feeling a bit worn out. You, know, you might be feeling, ah, I don't know about Christianity anymore. I used to be on fire. I used to love him. I used to live for him. Hasn't happened in a while. Well, just the busyness is caught up and 
you forgot. Just forgot about him. I believe that God wants us to cultivate a passion for him. And I think these five things, by actively pursuing them, we position ourselves to receive his mercy and grace. By actually pursuing these things actively, we position ourselves to receive his grace. It's kind of, kind of like a surfer. If, you know, if the surfer never goes out and tries to catch waves, they can't complain that they're not catching any waves because they're never positioning themselves for the waves to come. If, if you're feeling dry, if you're feeling dead, if you're feeling tired, or if, if you, you are feeling on fire and you just want to keep growing, I, I, I just want to put it to you. I think the Bible is telling us, do not be slothful in zeal. Don't neglect these things. If the Holy Spirit prompts your heart to say something to someone or do something for someone, don't disobey it. Don't disobey Him. You'll quench the Spirit. And you miss out on an opportunity. Maybe if you're not feeling passionate, are you reading the Word? You know, trying to do it. Trying to expose yourself to the mind of God. Are you actually trying to do it? And are you actually doing it? I know that in the past month, of, like I've always, by God's grace, been really good, you know, at being disciplined. But I've been so tired and so God had to change things up in my life. He made my daughter wake up at 5.30 every day this week. Praise the Lord. And because we were potty training, my wife got up. <laughs> and so she's been looking after Evie and I've been able to read my Bible. Just great leadership and great service. But it's been great. I've actually been able to expose myself to the Word of God. And my heart has been kindled afresh. And Chris Page was sharing up here that the best thing about his week has actually been time with the Lord. If you're feeling dead or you, or you want to grow, are you exposing yourself to the Word? Are you praying to God? Like actually praying? Like actually talking to Him like you would talk to a real person? Are you telling Him about your anxiety? Are you telling Him about the things you want? Are you talking to Him about your sin? Are you talking to Him about the things that are making you depressed? Are you talking to him about the things that, you know, you feel suffering in your life? Are you relating to him? Or are you drawing further and further away? With my wife, if, you know, if we don't meet up and chat, and, or even if we meet up and chat, but we just talk about the everyday, the boring, and we never expose our hearts, we're never going to go closer. It's like that with God, I believe, that, Actually, we draw near to him. And Jesus said, like his disciples asked him, how do you pray? He said, our Father. Our Father. And we can actually draw near to him and and tell him about everything we care about. And that's amazing. And if we do that, I believe God will change us. God will draw us closer to him. And even if you lost the words, Romans 8, 26, the Spirit intercedes. And you can just sit in silence. You can just sit on your knees and behold him and declare his greatness and ask for his will to be done. And you can just wait until your heart has changed. It's amazing. It's amazing that we get this gift to be adopted children of God. 
And if you're lacking that zeal, don't neglect the prayer. Fellowship. Church. It's not just coming, it's actually involving yourself. If, you know, if you're lacking zeal or you want to grow in your passion for the Lord, serve. We get grace when we try and get on our knees and serve other people. Be served. Let people into your life. If you're feeling distant, maybe it's because you're distancing yourself. I, like, I don't know, but if you actually open up your heart and let people know what's going on at Life Group and actually confess sin and who knows what God will do. And evangelism. If you want to, if you really want to kindle your heart for the Lord, tell someone else about how great this salvation is. If you're experiencing a dryness or a lack of zeal or a tiredness or a cultivate Cultivate a passion to try and help other people meet Jesus. Because by doing it, Philemon verse 6 says that, well, actually, we get joy from it. And you get joy. Say that person's saved. Then you get to see God's grace pour out on their life. The aim here in this little section is not to beat us up. But it's actually, I think God wants us to pursue him. He actually wants us to actively pursue him. And not just actively pursue him, but actively pursue him with the deep things. Not the surface level, not the external, not the kindling. Don't just try and throw petrol on the fire. It'll blow up and go back to the same. It just does. I mean, I've tried it before. It does. I'm sure everyone here has tried it if you're following Jesus. Um, and if you are in this moment I, I just encourage you if you fall on your knees and ask God please do something in here give me something give me fervency Lord help me not to be slothful help me to serve you help me to keep Jesus in view if you actually fall on your knees and ask him to do that will he not answer it Will he withhold himself from you? Test him. See what happens. See how your life changes. Position yourself to cultivate a passion for the Lord. To stay on fire, to grow, we actually have to cultivate a passion for him. The Bible says to We have to stir it up. We have to position ourselves. So in conclusion, I'll get the final slide. In conclusion, putting it all together, if we want to be a church on fire, it begins with Jesus. It's cultivated by us. But the reality is, Sovereign Grace, I think we're amazing. Like when I joined this church, I was blown away because people really loved Jesus and really lived it out and really loved each other. I was blown away because people actually did it. And I was like, whoa, I want to be a part of this place. And as a, you know, in truth, we are a church on fire. We are living passionately for Jesus. And that's awesome. How good is it to be a part of this church where 
There's people who keep Jesus right bang in the center of their life and their sparks are falling on them and they are just on fire and they look like pyromaniacs. They're running around. They just love him and that is normal in this church. There's people here who are throwing logs on the fire and there's just this deep, long-lasting passion for Jesus. There's old and young loving the Lord and living for him. It's awesome to be a part of. And God has done so many things in our short four years. I've only been here two of them. But to think, if we keep cultivating a passion for the Lord and we keep pursuing Him, who knows what God is going to do in the next four years? Who is it that's going to be walk, who's going to walk through that door? Who is it that's going to be blessed by God if we keep on fire? If we keep living passionately for him, who is it that you will get to minister to and see the grace of God break into their life and radically change them? Who is it going to be that actually gets to meet Jesus for the first time and their eyes are going to open and you're going to see them and they're just going to be like, whoa, how amazing is this savior? And, you know, we're tired, I think, maybe a little bit as a church because we've done so much work and there's so many things we're trying to run. But God is saying to us today, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And I think we're doing well. And God is pleased with us as a church. And I believe if we keep going, God is going to do amazing things. May we be a church on fire. May we keep Jesus central in our life. May we cultivate it through spirit, through the word, through prayer, through fellowship, through evangelism. And may we live passionately all of our life, all on fire, all for the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, God, what a privilege it is to be a follower of you. Lord, we love you as a church. We want to honor you as our God. We want to lift you up. Give us more of your son. Minister to our hearts right now that we might be breathtaking by him. Help us to begin our passion with him and to be grounded in him. And help us to cultivate that passion as a church. And Lord, may you do and continue to do amazing things through us as a people. God, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, may you lead us. And may we be a church on fire who lives passionately for you. In Jesus' name, amen.